0: And bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we are passing judgment on all of the kings and emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon the Third. I hate that I can see you now because I can see you trying to mouth what I'm saying. Anyway, continue.
1: <laughs> who will be selected as the creme de la creme, and who will be sent to the guillotine?
0: Je m'appelle Ben Clark,
1: and I'm Eliza Summers.
0: And today, if I can get, if I can get past the fact that I can see Eliza now, because we're using a new. Uh, recording software where i can see her um
1: so you can see my sweaty face
0: yeah we will be talking about philip or philippe Philippe. in french who is our our boy king from last episode which we did on his first philippe yes Remember who was last episode, Eliza?
1: Anna. <laughs> Anne, I mean, of Keeves. Yeah.
0: Was Anne, Anne, Anna or yeah, Anne. Anne. Either one is correct. Yeah. yeah. And so he was the boy king. So he was Anna's yeah. son that sh- she was regent for. And this episode, yes. we will see him blossom into-
1: Step up and uh, become a man.
0: In, uh, become a man. Gain an epithet. Woo! Philip the amorous. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you mm. know already it's going to it's gonna have some saucy shenanigans mm-hmm. this episode.
1: Yay! Mm. My favourite.
0: But before we dive into the sauce, uh, let's have a bit of a recap of baby Philip's life so far. Yes. So Anne of Kiev, subject of last episode, rocks up to France from what is now Ukraine.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and within about a year of living with her new husband, Henry I of France, she gives birth to a boy... Uh, the first of four children, on the 23rd of May, 1052. And Mm -hmm. she gives him the strange name of Philip. Yes. So we haven't seen the name Philip used in the West at all. Yeah. uh, Up to this point in the podcast.
1: It's a new name.
0: It's a new name. It's actually the first non-Germanic name that a king has had.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Something different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Unless you count Daniel, <laughs> the Merovingian yeah. king. Because he has, like... That was, like, a churchy name that he, like, adopted when he was a monk. As king, he was the II, which is a Germanic name, so... Yeah,
1: He's true. The,
0: can't really count him. This is the first non-Germanic yeah, can't. king name. If you hear a dog in the background, that's Sloane, the dog I'm i I didn't.
1: <laughs>
0: she's just... She's just... There are ghosts outside that she keeps barking at. Um, so... So I have uh, a theory in- about
1: nail ghosts. I have a theory that the reason why tyres get holes in them, like, you know, from nails when cars are driving, is that there's a ghost going around that froze nails on mm. the road.
0: Sloane, do you it's want to be theory. on the podcast? She's she's not very amused. She's trying to bark at everything. Just oh, a little brat. I was
1: trying to be Sloane.
0: Uh, <laughs> so are you ready to get into a deep etymology of the name Philip? Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, I do. I need that.
0: So in the 11th century, Frankish lay people, so people outside the church, typically just use Germanic names, while yeah. Greek, Latin or Hebrew names were adopted by the clergy, most famously with the popes. So yeah. like for example we had Gerbert of Auriac, Germanic name, <laughs> changing his name to Pope Sylvester II, Latin name.
1: Yeah. So I wish he'd stayed with Gerbert.
0: Yeah, well, it's too Germanic for the papacy.
1: Pope um, Gerbert
0: Yes. <laughs> So yeah, I uh, now I get to do an etymology that isn't Germanic, which is very exciting. So Ooh. the name comes from the Greek words "philos," meaning love or friendship, and "hippos," meaning horse. Horse love. Horse lover. <laughs> Not in a weird way, in like a friendly way. Um, so yeah, the yeah. name.
1: Actually, when does this come out? Does this come out? Does this episode come out near August?
0: It comes out at the start of August. Yeah.
1: Okay, because the 1st of August is the horse's birthday, so that's cool.
0: Is is Connection. our horse's birthday?
1: No, it is the horse's birthday.
0: The horse. Like the first horse?
1: Yeah, meaning every horse. Every horse. No, meaning there's just a, every horse gets next oh, day to celebrate.
0: Because all the horses are born yep. around the same time.
1: Apparently so. <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, it, it's all, as well as the dog, it's also raining very heavily outside, so you may hear that as well.
1: Because <laughs> well, I can't hear app. that.
0: Okay, good. So, back to Philip. So, the name Philippos was first popularized mm-hmm. by the Macedonian dynasty of ancient Greece, having been born by the father of Alexander the Great. Yes. The name then saw a revival as it gained a new Christian connotation, um, as one of the oh. 12 apostles was called Philip.
1: God, I really don't remember all the names of the apostles. No,
0: no, but one of them was called Philip, and I think, like, two of them were called Simon, and, like, you know, two of them were called James or something. <laughs> anyway. One of them was called Phil, Philip. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, Philip the Apostle, uh, being one of the earliest saints to preach to the Greeks, thus became a particularly popular saint in the early days of the Eastern Orthodox Church.
1: Was he patron saint of horses, please? Can he, is, was he that? I'm looking at If it he up. wasn't, what's the point of his name?
0: I mean, like, I assume it was a name given, you know, when he was young. Or, um, yeah. uh, apparently Saint... Oh! St. Eligius is the patron saint of cattle and horses. St. Eligius oh. was the advisor of King Dagobert. Mm. That's interesting.
1: Good old Dagobert.
0: Anyway, but Philip, you know, he was, it was a common name. <laughs> so don't read yeah. too much into it. So he became a popular saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which brings us to Anne of Caius. Mm-hmm. There are numerous theories as to why she and King Henry chose the name Philip which is a name that didn't belong to any relatives of either. of them. But the one I'm inclined to accept is that Anne had taken on the Apostle Philip as a sort of role model um, um. because she, like him, was travelling to a distant land and bringing new ideas with her. Yeah. That's my theory. <laughs> so rather than naming her son one of the four Capetian family names, Robert, Hugh, Henry, <laughs> Odo, uh, she's bringing something She She was
1: new. like, different...
0: Something more imaginative.
1: Branching out.
0: And, of course, we're going to see this name catch on, (laughs) because Philippes are going to pop up all over the place on the Capetian family tree from this point
1: (laughs) forward. Grand.
0: Grand. So fast-forwarding through Philip's early childhood, on the 23rd of May, 1059, so his seventh birthday, Philip was Mm -hmm. given an excellent present. He was associated to the throne and crowned junior king at the Cathedral of Reims. The reason for such a premature coronation, because kings aren't usually associated until it's they quite get young. to like 20-ish. Yeah, it's quite young. Um, was that his father wasn't looking so good. Ah, uh, yeah. Henry First of France, as we learned in his episode, uh, was a bit cautious. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, because, you know, he didn't have a lot of power. He was doing everything he could to ensure a smooth succession, despite how young Philip was. Yeah. So... When Henry died, the following year, Philip was already king. So there there wasn't any dispute about who was king, which was
1: good. Yeah, yeah, very good.
0: So this is really the first time we've ever seen someone so young get on the throne without any fuss.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: There was no Carolingian that ever became king this young. I think the youngest was about 12-ish. Yeah. Whereas Philip is eight. Yeah. And the Merovingians did have younger kings, like Fredegund's son, who was a baby. Yeah. But it was always, there was always a struggle involved. But Philip doesn't have this problem. Mm. And we covered the basic sort of outline of his six-year regency last episode. But basically it started mm. off as a shared job between Anne of Kiev, the Queen Dowager, and her brother-in-law, Bolden V of Flanders. Yeah. Who's married to Philip's aunt, Adela. His uncle. Yeah, so he's his uncle by marriage. So basically the two in-laws of, of the dead king um get the regency yeah. weirdly it doesn't go to henry's brother robert the old who's the duke of burgundy oh even though they apparently they had a good relationship hmm. but i assume that robert was sort of too busy dealing with his own stuff hmm. and also baldwin had like grown-up sons so he could kind of leave them in charge of his um county uh. in flanders and he was also like baldwin v was quite old so he had all this experience and um wisdom. Mm. And he did really well as a regent, while Anne ran off with Ralph of Crepe. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It
0: was a very scandalous uh, nobleman that we covered last episode. Mm. Baldwin uh, sort of kept the peace between the crown and Normandy. That was his main achievement because his daughter, Matilda of Flanders, was married to -to soon-to-be William the Conqueror. Um, Mm. Because we are in we are now in the 1060s, and you know what happens in the 1060s? Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Battle of Hastings. That was the correct one, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I can add doubt in myself.
0: Eliza, we have reached 1066. Yeah, because that is the year that Philip's regency ends. So, yeah. would you like to tell us what the Norman Conquest is all about? <laughs> from your um, uh, from your not in detail, right? Not okay, enough, just
1: so, a you know, William comes on over to England is like, hey, I'm here. Wait, and what I'm happens like, what? first? What
0: happens? Move back a step. What happens before that?
1: Oh, somebody dies.
0: Uh, Edward the Confessor dies in uh, yeah. middle, of, middle of 1066 and yeah. he has no relatives. His line oh, is yeah, extinct yeah. except for... A few exiles who are sort of hanging around, yeah. but they don't matter in our story. And yeah. his brother-in-law, Harold, Harold oh, yeah. Godwinson, who's his yeah. most powerful noble, seizes the crown. Even though Edward had semi-promised it to his cousin, to... William.
1: Yeah. And William's like, yeah. I'm not having any of that.
0: Exactly. So yeah, he comes so over and-
1: Went on over.
0: Harold Godwinson is also fighting the King of Norway, Harold Hardrada. Yeah,
1: so he had to like <laughs> rush back down. Yeah, I he had to that. go
0: north. He won the Battle of Stamford Bridge, <laughs> rushed back down, and then he had to go
1: like really far, and, like in a short amount of an insanely short amount of time. He managed to, like hoof it all the way back down.
0: Yeah, but sadly, uh, at the Battle of Hastings in December he 1066, lost. he is defeated. He is shot in the eye, as as depicted in the mm. Bayeux Tapestry, um, and yeah. he and uh, William the Conqueror is crowned on Christmas Day in London. So, what effect does this have on France? So from 1066 onward, England and France are in a, a very uh, shaky period mm. of figuring out yeah. what exactly their relationship is going to be moving forward. Because England owns land that is legally still part of France. Yeah. Or the King of England. So yeah. they owed homage and tribute to the French king for those lands on like, mainland France. Yeah. But England, and by extension Normandy, had more resources than ever before to challenge the mm. King of France's power. And the King of England actually yeah. owns more personal territory than the King of France does, even though France is, is bigger. Yeah. Because um, William the Conqueror, he sort of inherited a, a much more centralised kingdom in England. It's, it's less populated. It's yeah. less broken up into all these little counties. You know, it's more... Yeah. It, it, it's, easy, it's easy to administrate, especially when he plopped down a bunch of castles everywhere to um, threaten mm-hmm. everyone. So... Yeah, yeah.
1: got old friending castles.
0: Yes. So the English king's power only increased under the Norman kings. And meanwhile, Philip, King Philip, is 14 years old. So he's mm-hmm. an adult as far as the world around him mm-hmm. is concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his mother was probably back at court around this time to advise him. Uh, But he's going to have to grow up pretty fast because uh, there's an outbreak of war, not with Normandy, but with Flanders.
1: Pesky, pesky Flanders.
0: Pesky Flanders. So, Baldwin V of Flanders, the loyal regent, dies in 1067, a year after the regency ends. So, this causes the Flemish civil war between his sons, Baldwin VI and Robert I. Baldwin VI dies early on in the conflict. And his oh. wife, his wife Richild, the Countess of Einert yep. in her own right, mm-hmm. calls in Philip to help her defend her and her vulnerable sons from the attacks of their uncle, Robert. So 15 year old Philip uh, <laughs> rather nobly <laughs> answers the call to defend the Countess and her children, uh, but sadly he is back to the wrong horse. Oh. So in 1071, Philip is defeated at the Battle of Cassel by Robert the 1st of Flanders, Richild has to retreat to the east to her home at Hainaut and her mm-hmm. sons are denied the county of Flanders. And Ooh. we we kind of talked about this in our Patreon episode on the noble houses where House of Flanders splits into Robert's line and the Hainaut branch which eventually eventually regains power eventually, you know, in like a 100 eventually. years. Eventually,
1: ah, um, all the way.
0: But right now, it, it's they're sort of they're banished, um, and uh, not good for Philip because he would supported them. Robert ended up capturing Richild um, in the course of this war, but then Philip captured Robert in a turn of events that was Ooh. quite good. Um, so Ooh. I'm really oversimplifying this war, but you know we have to get through it. Um, yeah. so then they do a sort of uh, prisoner trade and mm-hmm. in doing so they make peace, the war's ended, with Philip negotiating to get the northern castle mm-hmm. of Corby under royal control, uh, as well as a marital mm-hmm. alliance that will tie him mm-hmm. to both Flanders and Holland to the east mm-hmm. so Robert of Flanders for a bit of backstory, had mm-hmm. married Gertrude um, who was the widow of the Count of Holland Okay, and she had a daughter by her first husband, who was called Bertha. Mm-hmm. So Philip decided to marry Bertha because, you know, her stepfather was the Count of Flanders, and her brother was the new Count of Holland. So yeah. it, that works out nicely. Some to good get him, like, a alliance. Exactly.
1: Are they roughly so, the same age? Uh, yeah,
0: they're roughly the same age. I think. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, we never know the women's exact birth dates, really, because
1: True.
0: people don't care. Um,
1: Unfortunately.
0: But yeah, so he married he marries Bertha in 1072. Um and yeah, he now kind of has a whole alliance of what is now the Netherlands. While the alliance was valuable, Philip did not exactly take a shining to his wife.
1: Oh.
0: Um they had a few children, but he later complained that she was too fat. Oh. Despite the fact that Philip got much fatter. Uh, <laughs> but we'll get Sounds to as that. Sounds was
1: picky as Henry VIII.
0: It's a bit Henry VIII, yeah. Meanwhile, Philip uh, continues his military career with a war against Normandy, uh, which now, of course, uh, is also England, in Mm. 1076. Mm. So despite now being not only Duke of Normandy, but also King of England, William the Conqueror still wanted to take over Brittany, (laughs) because he'd had ambitions to take over Brittany before. He's renewing those ambitions. Um,
1: he's like, I have more resources ev- now. I've got all the English.
0: Exactly. But in the one major defeat of his career, his advance was halted by Philip. Whoa. Who also took this opportunity to retake the Vexan, which if you remember oh. was the border region between Paris and Normandy.
1: Yeah. Oh, damn.
0: So he's got some more land.
1: Damn, he actually stopped William. Whoa.
0: Yeah. Philip also uh, allied himself with uh, rebellious Norman vassals. So mm-hmm. he kind of does the reverse of what his father, King Henry did. Uh, where King Henry was siding with William against rebels. Now yeah. Philip's doing the opposite.
1: Oh, cause he's like, William, um, you have England go away now.
0: Yeah. And none was more rebellious than William, the conqueror's eldest son, Robert Curthose, Oh, um, or <laughs> Robert little Bridges, Uh, <laughs> as I like to call them. Um, he ended up personally injuring his father <laughs> in the Battle of Goebois in 1079. God, he must really have yeah.
1: disliked his father.
0: And in this battle, he was supported by troops that were lent to him by Philip. Oh. So Philip is Philip is going Ooh. in, causing a lot of chaos between
1: yeah.
0: the king of England and his sons.
1: Ooh. Yeah.
0: As we will see, a lot of kings of France do <laughs> yeah. over the course of the next couple centuries.
1: What, making trouble um, for England? Or just... Does- yeah, like, their nose like turning
0: family against,
1: against each good other. good yeah. little oh, Game of Thrones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's using chaos as a ladder. Like, what So father and son do reconcile, and mm. Kurtos is named heir to Normandy, but England itself will end up going to his younger brother, William Rufus. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're kind of splitting up England and Normandy, mm-hmm. which is also good, and they'll fight. It'll be great. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Count of Anjou, whose name is Folk the Fourth, or mm-hmm. Folk Le Rechin, which loosely translates to the brawler or the quarrelsome. Um, <laughs> Folk took advantage of the situation by trying to take over Maine, which at this time belonged to the Norman. People had been sort of crying out for,
1: to oh. be freed
0: from Norman oppression, etc. Mm. Yeah.
1: Free me, free me!
0: So this is sort of why William lost the war in Brittany, because he had to fight on
1: three Multiple fronts. fronts. Like he was fighting
0: Brittany, he was fighting Anjou and Maine, yeah, and he was fighting the Vexan, um, in <laughs> the Vex- the king in the Vexan, and fighting his son. So in the late 1070s, this allowed Philip to put significant checks on Norman power, sort of contain mm-hmm.
1: them a bit. Good for Philip.
0: He then followed this up a decade later with a full on invasion of Normandy in 1087. Oh
1: but I'm guessing it wasn't successful.
0: Well, he did it while the Conqueror was away in England.
1: Oh, that makes Um, it easier.
0: It was halted, though, when William came back across.
1: Ah, Philip just was like, "Ah, don't do anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he came to Normandy to reclaim his lands. During their confrontation, Philip mocked how fat William the Conqueror had become. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And
1: I'm assuming Philip's fat himself at this point, or no, not yet. (laughs) Philip's He's not quite
0: fat, but... um,
1: Getting a bit punchy.
0: The historian Jim Bradbury writes, quote, For a man who became obese, he was oddly keen to note others' corpulence.
1: <laughs> we well, did say his wife is fat, so, you know.
0: Yeah, he doth protest too much, I guess.
1: It's kind of like he um, doesn't see himself in the mirror.
0: <laughs> yes. So, either from this comment, or just the fact that Philip had been a nuisance, the, the old conqueror was spurred into a terrifying rage, And then he came in and ravaged the Vex'ang. He shockingly set fire not just to castles and villages, but also to at least two hermitages. Do you remember what a hermitage is?
1: Where the hermits live.
0: It's where the hermits live. It's like a little windowless house where they. How could he?
1: Those poor hermits. They're helpless. Yeah. That's just so mean. I wonder if that's where the name hermit crab is like connected to that. Like hermits live in that little hermitage house, which is like you know no windows. When that is brat, where that brat. is where
0: hermit crab comes from.
1: Ooh, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. hermits they would like find little crevices and like just live there.
1: Do you remember like trying to collect hermits when you were a kid? Like at the beach? Yeah. To find hermit crabs, you'd be like,
0: oh. Remember from last episode, Adenia, the princess who ran off and lived in a tree?
1: Oh yeah. Oh that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's like what hermits do. They like find a little cave or a tree, something and like repurpose yeah. it.
1: A little home.
0: And... A Little home. Anyway, getting back to William the Conqueror, he obviously experienced a bit of karma from d- uh, killing these hermits. Yeah. I mean, actually, we don't know if he killed them, but he definitely destroyed their homes.
1: Killed the same thing.
0: After this last burst of aggression, he fell ill and died near Rouen that same mm. year.
1: I forgot he died in France. Yeah,
0: well, he's he died in his home. <laughs> he wasn't really a friend <laughs> yeah. of <to> England, really.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So the Conqueror's death uh, in 1087 didn't slow down Anglo Norman aggression though, because William yeah. Rufus wanted the Vexan back mm. as much as his father did. Yeah. And his brother, Robert Kurtos, had departed on a little thing called the First Crusade.
1: A crusade? Yeah.
0: Which allowed mm. William Rufus to swoop in, establish full control over Normandy, and proceed to reconquer Hi. that lost land. Um, we'll come back to the First uh. Crusade, but Let's just... I'm just yeah. getting the Normandy stuff out of the way.
1: Fred on Philip.
0: Yeah. So Philip was no longer in the fight with Normandy at this point in the...
1: Was it because he was fat now?
0: Yeah. At this point, he's been king for something like 20 years. <laughs> he's a bit older. Like, um. So he uh... left this conflict to his now adult son, whose name <laughs> is Louis. Another Louis. Of course. Yeah. We haven't known Louis for a while.
1: What number Louis is that?
0: He'll be Louis sixth. Six. Yeah, okay. So Louis VI managed Oh, already
1: on the sixth
0: ah, Yeah, because yeah. the last was the last Carolingian Louis V mm. So Louis managed to hold the Vexan In royal control He sort of governed it as a sort of practice territory Until he became king mm. Um, And we'll get back to oh. what he does
1: So it's good to have a practice territory <laughs> Yeah
0: And um, assuming he lives to become king We'll talk about it in this episode
1: I'm gonna assume you did
0: Moving to the left and Going to Anjou. Yeah. With Folk le rechin Folk the quarrelous slash brawling.
1: Did he get into, like, pub brawls? Because I could just imagine that.
0: Presumably, yeah. That he wasn't a very pleasant character, by yeah. all accounts. Um, So he ah. he and Philip uh, had something in common, which was a very messy personal life.
1: Oh, scandalicious.
0: But it was even messier for the poor Count of Anjou. Ooh. Uh, and th- this would become relevant. In a moment, but he had twice imprisoned and deposed his weaker elder brother, Geoffrey the Bearded. And even at one point he had got excommunicated when the king and the Pope demanded that he release his brother from prison. He had also been married four times. (laughs) His first wife died and the other three he divorced for various reasons. So he's finally settled on the beautiful and cunning Betrayer of Montfort or Bertrade de Montfort in French. Uh, but so, so we don't get her confused with Queen Bertha. I'm going to call, I'm going to drop the Bert. I'm going to call her Ada. Um,
1: Ada. Okay.
0: Because I like that name and it's my podcast. So
1: <laughs> I like an Ada. Yeah.
0: So for the English history nerds out there, uh, this Ada is from the same Montfort family that will later produce Simon de Montfort. So that's a bit of context there.
1: Oh.
0: She's like her great, great, great nephew. Nephew or something, yeah.
1: Connections.
0: So Ada and Falk uh, apparently had a very passionate relationship, mm. but also very toxic.
1: Uh, it's always the case.
0: If the chroniclers are to be believed, she completely ruled him uh, with her womanly wiles.
1: <laughs> Woo! Use those womanly wiles.
0: Yes, and her influence had been part of what got him to go to war against his brother.
1: Uh-huh. Yes.
0: So she's obviously she's a ru- she's a woman. She ruined everything. Everything bad that happens is her fault.
1: Even though he'd already deposed his brother before he married her?
0: No, no. Apparently this happened during their marriage. Like, she's oh. she's pulling the strings in the background. Apparently.
1: Yeah. Um, you go. You be the puppet master.
0: So the ultimate source of scandal, though, for Ada and Falk, was when Ooh. the Countess either left or was abducted oh. and married the King of France.
1: Were they divorced?
0: Not according to most people.
1: Oh!
0: <laughs> so totally. on the on the on the fifteenth of May, ten ninety two, King Philip repudiated his first wife Bertha. Uh, he he locked her up in her castle of Montreux
1: because she was fat.
0: Because she was fat. Well, that's the main. Re- that is actually the main reason that Philip gives
1: oh my for repudiating
0: Bertha. He says. She is repulsive to him. Therefore, they cannot produce any more children. Therefore, he can annul the marriage on the grounds of, you know, infertility or whatever. Also, they're distant cousins or something. Because that's always the excuse. But yeah, as far as most people were concerned, uh, one of those people being the Pope, both Philip and Ada, who he met up with shortly after locking up Bertha, hadn't gone through the proper channels to end their respective first marriages. And we're now committing bigamy. Double big.
1: Mm. It's
0: like double jeopardy, but, but double bigamy. Damn. They were also, even, clo- even more closely related, they were second cousins. Which never helps.
1: Oh. The Pope's not going to be happy.
0: Pope's not happy. At all.
1: Oh, do we get a little bit of excommunication? Well, we'll see. We'll see.
0: We'll be right back after this. The commander said, don't worry, I don't have the authority to kill you today which was positive for that day anyway. In 1993, Chris Moon was captured by the Khmer Rouge while clearing landmines in Cambodia. With survival probability low, Chris was brought in front of the boss. He was just given a local nickname, Mr. Clever. Hi, I'm Steve Windus, host of the Batting the Breeze podcast. I'd love you to check out how Chris survived, along with some other great human stories at battingthebreeze.com. Hopefully see you there. So the king was opposed by his senior advisor, whose name is Ivo, uh, the Bishop of Chartres.
1: Ivo.
0: Ivo. Or Yves, yeah. as in Yves Saint Laurent.
1: I'm going to go for Ivo. I like Ivo. Yeah.
0: Or Ives. You can also call him Saint Ives. He, he's not the Saint Ives that Saint Ives the place is named after, but he is a Saint Ives. Um... And uh, he's an important theologian who later becomes a saint, obviously. So Ivo uh, sticks by the queen and gets imprisoned
1: sort
0: of Thomas More style. Um, Ah. But, however, nothing else is done to him. He's just sort of left there. And he's eventually released, eventually gets reconciled, because that doesn't look great, imprisoning a senior cleric. True. And then in 1094, another bishop, the Burgundian Bishop of D, who just happened to be the main papal representative in France, (laughs) held a synod, so a big church council at Autun in Burgundy, and this synod ruled that King Philip ought to be excommunicated.
1: Oh, sorry, just any time the Pope's unhappy it's like, excommunication, excommunication, excommunication.
0: They they do still need an endorsement from the Pope, but right now, a bunch of French bishops are like, nah. Excommunication. Mm. He's, he's been mean to, to Ivo, and he's...
1: Mean to his wife.
0: Mean to his wife, and he's committing bigamy, and sort of incest.
1: That's a no-no.
0: It's all a no-no. So, the endorsement of this order by Pope Urban II, who possibly is one of the most famous popes ever, for reasons Mm.
1: that
0: we will see. The endorsement showed up the following year at an event called the Council of Clermont, which is an extremely famous event.
1: Yeah, I was like, it sounds familiar, but I don't remember why.
0: It's very famous, but for reasons that have nothing to do with Philip. So...
1: (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: So let's let's first talk about why the reasons why Clermont happened that aren't famous. Sure. So the ten-day council of Clermont was held from the 17th to the 27th of November, 1095, in the city of clermont ferrand in the Auvergne region. Mm-hmm. And it was partly just a sort of Philip Haters club where everyone sort of gathered together to sort of air their grievances against <laughs> the king.
1: Little venting, ranting. Meeting.
0: yeah and urban II also reiterated the church's stance against simony so selling the church offices the bishoprics and abbeys You yeah. can't sell them and made clear his support for both the cluniac reforms and the peace of god movement yeah. which are both sort of ongoing at this time so they get a bit of a shot in the arm thanks <sighs> to this council and uh, if you want to know what they are google go it. listen to robert the second or google it um, Googling's probably more reliable. Um, so, <laughs> the uh, the most famous thing, which mm-hmm. we'll get to about the Council of Clermont, was that it was the inciting incident for the First Crusade.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Pope Urban II gave an extremely famous speech, uh, mm-hmm. which was recorded by one of our chroniclers, Full Share of Chartres. Mm-hmm. So... I'll just read a couple of excerpts. I won't yeah. read the entire thing because it's like Some two pages long. So Irvin says Although, O sons of God, you have pro. Actually, I'll do my full on priest mm-hmm. voice because this is the. Yes. Pro- um, Although, O sons of God, you have promised more firmly than ever to keep the peace among yourselves and to preserve the rights of the church, there remains still an important work for you to do. Freshly quickened by the divine correction, you must apply the strength of your righteousness to another matter which concerns you as well as God. For your brethren who live in the East are in urgent need for your help, and you must hasten to give them the aid which has often been promised to them. For, as the most of you have heard, the Turks and Arabs have attacked them and have conquered the territory of the Byzantine Empire. Mm. On this account, I, or rather the Lord, beseech you as Christ's heralds to publish this everywhere and to persuade all people of whatever rank, foot soldiers and knights, poor and rich, to carry aid promptly to those Christians and to destroy that vile race from the lands of our friends. I say this to those who are present It is meant also for those who are absent. (laughs) Moreover, Christ commands it. Uh, And then he goes on to say, All who die, by the way, whether by land or by sea, or in battle against the pagans, shall have immediate remission of sins. (laughs) So basically, go over, kill a bunch of people that aren't us, and you'll be forgiven all your sins.
1: Get us some land back.
0: So it's like, let's have peace here. Let's go bring the violence where it's needed.
1: (laughs) Okay, meaning I want more land, get it for me. Yeah.
0: Needless to say, Philip uh, would not be participating Ooh. in the First Crusade. He's <laughs> like,
1: you excommunicated me. I'm not helping. Yes,
0: but it's worth a brief tangent because many of the subjects did participate mm. and has a big effect on France at this time. Mm. So I'll just do a brief tangent about it. The first guy to go on Crusade was a Frenchman named Peter the Hermit. Oh. Back to hermits.
1: We-
0: <laughs> he took his hermit shell... And went off leading the people's crusade.
1: So he was a fighting hermit.
0: Yeah. Not sure if he did actual fighting, but he at least led a I bunch thought of peasants. I
1: hermit's meant to be, like, in solitude.
0: Me too. But, you know, this one is an exception, apparently.
1: Not a real hermit.
0: So he leads this peasant army, which is basically just, like, a giant lynch mob oh. um, who, like, slaughtered Jews all the way oh. to Constantinople. It's not very nice. Mm-hmm. Their first stop out of France is the Rhine Valley, where there's a lot of Jewish merchants so... and they just basically pogrom them all. So it ends up doing a lot more damage in central Europe than it actually does in the Holy Land.
1: <laughs> do they even reach the because, Holy Land? Because, spoiler alert,
0: they don't get it. They don't get there. Uh, <laughs> no, they <laughs> don't. Right. So Emperor Alexios yeah. of the Byzantine yeah. Empire, he'd sort of written to the Pope and been like, hey, like, can you send some guys Please? over? And the Pope's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And so Alexios is like, okay, well, the Pope's probably not going to do anything. I'm all by myself. The next minute he turns around. Giant peasant army.
1: <laughs> he's like, uh, I wanted some profesh soldiers.
0: Covered, already covered in blood from all the Jews that they've killed. And he's like, oh dear. Oh
1: gosh, this isn't what I had in mind.
0: So he's sort of like,
1: uh, just
0: just let them go across the across the Bosphorus into Anatolia. They can deal with the Turks.
1: Yeah, they don't. Oh, well.
0: And they get... Slaughtered? Yes. They get completely massacred by the Seljuk Turks in Anatolia, which is Turkey.
1: Well, it's a peasant mob against, like, soldiers. Exactly. Of course.
0: And they're in completely unfamiliar territory. It's hot. And they're already tired from all of the Jew killing that they've done. But the People's Crusade was followed by more professional generals and knights who were drawn from the Frankish and Norman nobility. It was was a great way for sort of lesser lords or, like, the younger sons of lords... To make the fortune.
1: So is the people's crusade the first crusade or is it just part of the first crusade?
0: It's kind of part of it or it's kind of like the the, the oh, prologue okay. to the first crusade. The leader.
1: Oh okay. The um, opening act.
0: Because it's hard to really call it a crusade because they don't actually get
1: Does Turkey not count as part of it?
0: Not as the it's not the Holy Land no.
1: The Holy Land's really small.
0: The Holy Land is when they talk about the Holy Land they mainly mean the Levant. So,
1: Jerusalem.
0: Syria, Syria down to Israel, modern day. Oh. The Crusader Knights first take Antioch and then Jerusalem, which henceforth became the two main Crusader states, with a Norman prince of Antioch named mm. Bohemond, who ends up marrying a daughter of Philip, actually, mm. and a Frankish king of Jerusalem named Baldwin, mm. who, of course, comes from the House of Flanders, <laughs> as most Baldwins do. <laughs> and we actually talk about him in our Noble Houses. Patron episode. So he comes from the Boulogne branch Of oh. the House of Flanders So separate to any of the Flanderses We've been talking yeah. about this episode And he was one of three brothers To be considered heroes of the crusade The others were Eustace Who returned to France after mm-hmm. uh, To be Count of Boulogne And was the, I think, father Yeah, he was the father of Matilda of Boulogne Who becomes Queen of England
1: hmm. I like the name Eustace Yeah
0: that's an unpopular opinion, but yeah. Um, and uh, the second brother is Godfrey, Godfrey of Bouillon, uh, or Boulogne, who was really the first ruler of Jerusalem, though he refused the title of king. Uh-huh. Um, he titled himself That's Defender cool. of the Holy Sepulchre
1: because that sounds more impressive.
0: So when Godfrey died in 1100, a year after the capture of Jerusalem, his little brother Baldwin then did accept the crown of King of Jerusalem. Uh, yeah. Other participants in the crusades include Philip's own brother, mm. Count Hugh of Vermandois, huh. as well as, as we've said, William the Conqueror's firstborn, Robert Curthose, mm. as well as Queen Bertha's stepbrother, Count Robert II of Flanders, who is known mm. as Robert the Crusader. Oh. So we might get more into their roles during a potential deep dive on the First Crusade on Patreon. Um though I would also recommend the History of the Crusades podcast. Its host Sharon also has an Australian accent, so if you like our voices, you might (laughs) like hers.
1: If you don't like Australian accents, why are you listening to ours?
0: (laughs) Rewind back to the Council of Clermont and Pope Urban II. He's not done in France meddling around.
1: So Pope's just an excuse to meddle.
0: So we went to visit Falk, the spurned Count of Anjou. Yeah. This was sort of a gesture of support for his continued marriage to Ada, who's now the Queen Except not really the Queen.
1: Yeah.
0: And here we find a possible answer to a question that you asked mm-hmm. in the Noble Houses episode, which was why the House of Plantagenet was called the House of Plantagenet. Oh. Because Pope Urban is said to have presented folk with a golden flower called a common broom, or in old French, a plantagenet.
1: Ah. I do yeah. love the name Plantagenet. It's such a good name. I think it's my favourite house name.
0: It is a good name. So this flower went on to be associated with Falk and uh, uh, and Ada's direct descendants, who were the
1: Plantagenets. Plantagenets.
0: <laughs> so apparently, whenever Philip or Ada entered a church for a service, the service was halted, or else <laughs> the king and the queen were barred from entering. God. On one occasion, Ada threatened to have her soldiers break down the door so that her Ooh. own priests could come in and give communion. Right. So, <laughs> a lot of chaos and tension. There were, obviously, priests who were still loyal to the king and gave yeah. him mass, etc. But he'd often come to churches where they were like, um, the king, you mean the one who's excommunicated? Yeah, no. You mean the one who's plunged the whole, you know, country into chaos because of, of his choice of wife? No. Most of Philip's vassals, Anjou and Normandy notwithstanding, stood by his side, actually. Oh.
1: Wow, oh, I thought you were going to say they didn't.
0: So there was a church council at Poitiers uh, which mm-hmm. voted to support the, king, the Pope's excommunication of the king in 1099. Um, then, uh, I imagine, uh, just as the last priest in the room was about to sign the document to confirm <laughs> the ruling of excommunication,
1: the Summer door gets in. kicked
0: down. Someone <laughs> oh. bursts in. I object. So all of the priests tremble to see Duke William the IX of Aquitaine, Ooh. grandfather of Eleanor, by the way, um, uh. enter with his posse of knights saying, don't you dare excommunicate my king or else.
1: Or else you'll have to face my wrath.
0: Then there's a bit of a scuffle in which, among other things, one of the knights throws a stone at a cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> um, it misses, oh. uh, but it kills the poor scribes sitting nearby.
1: Oh, <laughs> he's just trying to do his job
0: So we can see there's all of this There's all of these little scrapes happening Throughout the kingdom Where some are for the king Some are against the king It's causing yes. chaos Because nobody knows who to follow So despite his opposition to the marriage Ivo of Chartres Was determined to see his king Reconciled with the Pope Yeah Because it's causing violence and chaos Yeah
1: and he's like We need peace We need calm
0: Exactly So 1104 He wrote to the new Pope Pascal II
1: Oh Pascal i love that
0: name yes he wrote i do not presume to offer you advice i only desire to warn you that it were well to show for a while some condescension towards the weakness of the man meaning the king (sighs) so far as consideration for his salvation may permit and to rescue the country from the critical state to which it is reduced by the excommunication of this prince so, led by Ido, uh, by Ivo, things start to change in the 1100s.
1: For the better. Yeah.
0: Like, the Crusaders have taken Jerusalem. There's, like, celebration in the air. Everyone's a bit
1: Time for more ready to let
0: bygones be bygones. Time for forgiveness. The Pope has appointed a new papal representative in France, uh, the Bishop of Albano, who works with the local bishops to get Philip to finally renounce Ada ah. and return to the fold.
1: And does he return to being married? No. Oh.
0: Bertha is living comfortably, so don't worry about Uh her. She's sort of in retirement. She's like,
1: yeah, this is much better without him.
0: (laughs) And things don't really change that much. The king is still allowed to see Ada, but, quote, only in the presence of trustworthy persons.
1: Does that mean a priest?
0: I don't know. (laughs) It's very unclear. So eventually they just sort of keep on living together.
1: So she's basically mistress. Yeah.
0: <laughs> In order to avoid further kerfuffles, the Pope does the very wise thing and just sort of turns a blind eye.
1: Ah, uh, of course.
0: They're like, I'm not, I'm not digging this up again. Let's just yeah. let him. So this leads us to the Fifth Council of trois another council. With
1: lots of councils.
0: I know lots of councils because the king's causing all these problems that need to be resolved yeah. through lengthy theological debates. Um, yeah. So Pope Pascal II visits France in 1107 as it was a safer place than Rome to discuss his issues <laughs> because he was having a lot of problems with the Holy Roman Empire, oh. namely the investiture controversy, which we've kind of mentioned before, but this is basically mm. where the Pope and the Emperor are fighting over who gets to appoint yeah. bishops. Yeah. Yeah. So at Saint Denis, according to its abbot Suger, King Philip and the and the Lord Louis, so Louis the met the Pope yeah. with compliments and vows. Uh, the royal Majesty kneeling at his feet for the for love of God, just as kings are accustomed to bow their crowned heads at the sepulchre of Peter the Fisherman. The Lord Pope stretched out his hand to raise them up and made them sit facing him as the most devoted sons of the apostles. He prayed them render assistance to St. Peter and himself, his vicar, to maintain the church, and in accordance with the custom established by their predecessor Charlemagne and other kings of the Franks, to resist boldly tyrants and the enemies of the church, above all, the Emperor Henry.
1: (laughs) Who's the emperor at the time?
0: emperor henry the fourth we're not going to get into the investor controversy we don't have time but let's just say the pope came to france to be like hey rome's not safe from me anymore because of the holy roman emperor yeah. so i'm gonna crash here for a bit yeah and he and a few popes after him are kind of in exile
1: and they just hide out in france yeah
0: mostly southern france yeah
1: uh, it's nice there i'm sure so they're like yeah Holiday. Yeah,
0: they're just chilling on the Riviera.
1: Drinking some wine, having some cheese.
0: That wraps things up in a nice little mm-hmm. bow. Everything's resolved. <laughs> just in time for Philip to die.
1: <laughs> His sins will be cancelled. He will be saved.
0: Your sins are cancelled. <laughs> Your sins have not been syndicated. <laughs> they are cancelled.
1: Yes, they're cancelled.
0: Uh, um, you
1: didn't commit yeah. them.
0: So by the time of Pope Pascal's visit, Philip was in terrible shape. He was suffering from obesity, tooth decay, and scabies. Ew. All, of course, a punishment from God for his wicked ways, as we know. So his son, Louis, was doing most of the actual governing Um, and was in charge of raising and commanding the royal troops in a new war against England, which we'll get into. Of
1: course.
0: Um, This is the war with William Rufus, which we mentioned
1: Uh, earlier. Yeah.
0: And speaking of next episode, we have a quote again from Suger, the abbot of Saint-Denis, who is Louis' lifelong friend and writes his biography. So cool. we'll get lots of information from him next episode. Yay. But Suja, sadly, here with some bad news because of all of the drama around the excommunication, it really does a number on Philip. So here's a quote. Yeah. Uh, King Philip daily grew feebler. For after he had abducted the Countess of Anjou, he could achieve nothing worthy of the royal dignity. Consumed by desire for the lady he had seized, he gave himself up entirely to the satisfaction of his passion. (laughs) So he lost interest in the affairs of state and, relaxing too much, took no care for his body, well made and handsome though it was. The only thing that maintained the strength of the state was the fear and love felt for his son and successor. (laughs) When he was almost 60... He ceased to be king, breathing his last breath at the castle of Melun sur seine in the presence of the Lord Louis. Louis carried the body in a great procession to the noble monastery of Saint-Benoît-sur-Loire, where King Philip wished to be buried. And Suja's a bit bitter about this, by the way, because he wants him to be buried in Saint Denis, and he yeah. refuses. There are those who say they heard from his own mouth that he deliberately chose not to be buried among his royal ancestors in the Church of Saint Denis, which is almost by natural law the royal mausoleum.
1: Why? Because of his wicked ways.
0: Because he had not treated the church as well as they had, and because among so many noble kings, his own tomb would not have counted for much. <laughs> So he was laid to rest as fittingly as they could before the altar in that monastery and commending his soul to God with hymns and prayers. They covered the tomb with magnificent stones.
1: Did they eventually move that tomb? Was it still there? Was it destroyed?
0: Uh, yes, it was destroyed. <laughs> I guess who destroyed it?
1: Um, William Rufus. Not nah, later. Napoleon. Hitler. Earlier. Oh, earlier.
0: What's the big event where everyone's smashy smashes to the Royal things?
1: Oh, um, the revolution. Yeah. No.
0: Oh. Safe to assume if anything's destroyed in France, either it's Nazis or it's the revolution.
1: Okay. So <laughs> yeah, Napoleon kind of didn't mind.
0: Yeah, Napoleon loved royal stuff. Are you kidding? Yeah,
1: because he was like basically we'll like you, I'm a royal myself, so ha <laughs> ha.
0: Mm. So uh, Philip the First is dead. Probably should have been buried at Saint Denis because. The tombs there weren't destroyed.
1: But of his lustful, lustful ways.
0: Lustful, lustful ways. Also, by the way, it's now the 1100s, which means we've covered the entire Woo. 11th century in only three kings.
1: Woo! They're living longer.
0: Yeah, as opposed to the 10th century, which was like...
1: It was like... So Bill,
0: 10th century was like Charles the Simple up to Hugh, Ke- no, up to Robert the <laughs> Second. There was so many, <laughs> so many kings. So many. I don't know, I don't know the exact number, but that was a lot of kings, uh, and yeah. and half episodes as well. So but someone
1: else can count for us.
0: <laughs> Philip's Philip's true love, Ada, quote, still young and beautiful, lived out her days comfortably in a nunnery at Fontevraud, oh. following Philip's death. Oh. And that is the life of Philip. So now we
1: mm. shall rate it. On Shante. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking one of the patrons should really go for the episodes, or like just one of the Angry Mob members should really go for the episodes and count how many times they say, I like that name. I was going to make be a, a drinking lot. game out of that.
0: <laughs> it's going to be more than the number of kings that we have.
1: <laughs> I know. Bloody make a drinking game.
0: So here is the official portrait of Philip I. <laughs> your re- your initial reaction picks. to the portraits is always, it's either, it's either, uh, or it's. Uh. <laughs> that would be another good idea for a compilation. is like all of your noises when you first see the portrait. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: hmm. Okay. I'll describe it to you. So he's yeah. having this. His little scepter, but oh my god, it looks so—it looks like a teeny tiny one, like as though it's like a wand size.
0: Well, he's got a little magic wand with a fleur de lis on the end. Perfectly matches the fleur de lis of his crown. Which is nice. Oh, I
1: thought you were going to make like a uh, innuendo there.
0: <laughs> I'm not even going to ask.
1: <laughs> Continue with
0: the description.
1: Okay, so then he has like you know obviously the traditional red, was it cape? Sure, whatever you wanna call that robe. He's just a bit different, though.
0: Yeah, it's nice, and it's it's got a lot of real estate. Maybe he's anticipating that he's gonna that he's gonna fatten.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he's really short hair, a beard. I saying, his his eyes are just like like staring, but like not in a good way. It's kind of a bit unnerving.
0: So that's Philip. Um, it was kind of hard to find other images of Philip, weirdly. Considering how long he reigns, because he's very much overshadowed by later Philips. So whenever you search like Philip oh. of France, it comes up with the other Philips. But I do have this one image of him imprisoning Bertha and marrying Bertrada de Montfort, that's... which I will show you. This is, of course, another image from the Grand Chronicle of France from the 14th century.
1: My God, it's like such a Rapunzel like thing, She's just like sitting there in the ta- castle tower. And then he's like to his new lady love. He's like, hey, good looking.
0: It's reverse Rapunzel where the prince locks Rapunzel in the tower and then marries the witch.
1: Yes. (laughs) But a good looking witch. And those curves.
0: Yeah. She's serving body oddy oddy in this beautiful lavender silk robe.
1: Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, me? They all have the crowns, though. Like the the person who did this made sure both of the like queens had crowns to be like, oh, there's yeah. two.
0: Also, Bertha yeah. and Betrayer look exactly the same. I know, <laughs> just carbon copies. So, so I'm not sure why Philip did this if they look the same.
1: <laughs> but maybe one's just thinner than the other, so he went with the thinner model. The, the, of
0: but, he would. but they look the same. You can see that they look the same. Yeah. I guess you don't see the lower half of, of Bertha. Yeah. Maybe she's got a bit of a belly. I don't know.
1: <laughs> oh my god, the king's feet look so weird. They look like bird feet.
0: Yeah, he's got he's got those really long shoes. They're called uh, oh, what are those? what are those really long armor feet?
1: I don't remember.
0: They're well, they're called something. I can't remember what they're called. But anyway, mail in if you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh that those are really the images. He also has an epithet. Yay! Um, his main epithet is Philip the Amorous, mm-hmm. as in lustful, you know, lost, lustful, lustful, ways. lustful, and driven by lustful. desires of the flesh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's also sometimes called the Magnificent Philip, or sometimes Philip Augustus. Although there, there is a Different Philip, who's yeah. more better known as Philip Augustus, yeah. we'll get to. He's, you know, he could be known as a lot of things, but Philip the amorous, I think, is yes. the most descriptive.
1: You doing that one.
0: Uh, so that's all I've got for tay What should we rate him?
1: Okay, so he's going to get a point for that epithet because you know it's an epithet, and I love a good epithet. I kind of want to give like two points just for that of having both his like wives in the picture.
0: Okay, <laughs>
1: <laughs> his main one that we look at. Something so unnerving about it. Really
0: creepy. He's poor. He looks a bit, he looks like mm, he looks like a guy that I wouldn't talk to at a party.
1: I know he just looks, something about him is really unnerving.
0: Like this guy's going to slip something in my drink. I, I don't want to talk to this man.
1: I'm going to be like, right? <laughs> yes, that's what I, I was, was
0: implying. Eliza. <laughs> I was trying to say it without saying it, but yeah. he's giving He's giving sort of creepy uncle vibes.
1: Yeah, but you can't stop looking at it, but at the same time, you're just like, oh my God, those eyes. <laughs> it feels so, almost like Mona Lisa eyes, like following me, but in a creepy way. Like the eyes you see in those movies where the people take out the eyes and someone's peering through.
0: Oh, someone's those, looking those paintings. Through. You know what? Based on what we're going to get to in Ulala, maybe he was into that.
1: Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking like four points.
0: That would put him one point above Henry I, who was quite unimpressive although henry the first did have a battle depiction
1: i'm surprised there's no de- battle depiction of Philip the first so considering he fought against william and his william's like one defeat
0: i think we have to start being more harsh on these kings we can't we can no longer just give them points for having information i know because there's more information in general because we're now in the proper middle ages yeah
1: so, I know, but I'm just surprised there's no, like, depictions of that.
0: I know. So so this is why I'm saying I'm marking him down. I'm marking him more harshly than the Dark Age Kings because I expect him to have more to show for how long he reigns yeah. in the time that he reigns. So okay. I'm giving him a three.
1: Okay. I'm being
0: mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only giving him points really because I like the epithet. But you're him with the four? Yeah. Okay. So that is a seven for Enchante. Moving on to on guard. On Garde. So because Philip was so active, particularly in his 20s, uh, and even his mm-hmm. teens with the, the war in Flanders, uh, we start to see royal power gradually creeping back up. Woo! So Henry I was the lowest point for royal power, and now the yeah. pendulum is swinging the other way.
1: That's good for King.
0: It doesn't swing as far as it could because of the whole excommunication thing. Um,
1: Yeah, that puts a bit of a damper.
0: He kind of shoots himself in the The foot.
1: foot with an arrow.
0: The fact that he got excommunicated and, like, didn't really lose any land kind of means things were stable. Pretty good. I think, yeah. Yeah. Because there weren't any huge wars, apart from the wars that were already going on. there was, like,
1: little scuffles, but, like, you know, not, like, huge civil wars. Little
0: scuffles, but it was mainly in support of Philip. Like, with William of Aquitaine. Yeah. He was supporting Philip. So...
1: Yeah, true. It's Good to have the nobles on your side. Actually, they generally seem to be on his side. The nobles. Yeah.
0: The only major long-term result of the excommunication was that it gave church writers basically carte blanche to just eviscerate him in their chronicles. <laughs> As we'll see in everyone and Lola.
1: You can so tell they thrive off that.
0: They do thrive. They're like little gossips. Seriously,
1: I know they're just like ooh.
0: all of these priests are like Regina George in that scene from Mean Girls, where she's just going around the school throwing the paper from yes, the prayer book. Are. Oh
1: my god! Yes, <laughs> they are so that
0: that is the church during the excommunication. Now effect. I'm just marrying
1: all these like priests and like monks and stuff, being like wing, 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 woo 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 woo. So I heard. Da, 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 da.
0: Yeah. So another positive, Philip kept a death grip on the lands in the royal domain, uh, becoming the first that. king of France to not give any of the crown lands away. Yes. Woo. In fact, he expanded them. Uh, he got he yeah. managed to hold on to the Vexan uh, He expanded into Picardy uh, with Corby, which he got from Flanders, um, and south into the Upper Loire Valley. So he. Confiscated the prized city good. of Bourges, the capital of the Berry region, um, from its rebellious count, giving the king land on the threshold of Aquitaine.
1: Good for him.
0: Yeah, significant improvement from Henry the First. He's just steadily yeah. getting more over time and not letting any of it go.
1: Yeah, good.
0: Also, Philip has the refreshing advantage of having loyal relatives. So yeah. His brother, Hugh of Vermandois, and his cousins in Burgundy remained loyal throughout the reign. So the Capetian dynasty, you know, they're sticking together. Yeah. Despite now having three branches. So.
1: Family bonds.
0: Royal branch, Vermandois branch, and Burgundy branch. Yeah. They're all sticking together. So despite having sons from two different mothers, uh, the succession is actually very stable with Philip. Hmm. Probably because his he has one son with Bertha, which is Louis, one surviving son. Mm-hmm. And the other yeah. sons with Ada, they're kind of not fully seen as legitimate.
1: Ah, so no one's going to support them.
0: Yeah. So he, they do get like a castle each, sort of. But he can pretty much get away with passing literally all of his territory to Louis VI. Yeah. So this is the first time in all of French history... Where the crown lands are not, what's called alienated. So, Split. yeah, this is we're in full primogeniture mode now. So hey. it's excellent. Yeah, finally. That's all I really have to say for on guard. Obviously, he does significantly decline after his twenties, um, because he mm. just becomes fat and lazy and isn't the one the... leading the fight anymore. And and Louis the Sixth. Ability to inherit all of all of this was partly because of him, partly because he was taking charge yeah. and ass- asserting himself really well. Which we'll get into next episode. Yeah, but for now, Philip, uh, he did okay. He did good.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's not losing. Bringing that like pendulum up, things you know,
0: and like surprisingly little impact from the excommunication, which shows that he mm. had stability.
1: Yeah. Enough that people were just like, whatever, okay, let's just keep in- living our lives.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the excommunication happened later in his life, um, hmm. like 1090s, like in his 40s. And by that time, I think people were already pretty secure with Louis as the heir. Yeah. So I guess they were kind of just like, And also well, Philip
1: had been around a while.
0: So. Philip had been around a while. So they were like, I guess they were kind of just like, well, he's going to die soon anyway. So why yeah. cause a huge fuss? When his son, who's, like, yeah. pretty much, who's really good. Doing a good job. Yeah, he's doing a good job. So, positive points for Philip. Yeah. Um, Might mm. want to save some of them for Louis, but positive yeah. points for Philip. So, what do we going to want to give yeah.
1: him? Okay, so, not obviously, it's not that <clears throat> low, but it's not too high, because it's not, like, he's going. To... <laughs> yeah. It's, like, decent. So. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, five. Okay. Maybe 5.5. 5.
0: Yeah, I think because it's an ever so slight improvement. Yeah. Actually, i don't th- I don't think it's a slight improvement. I think it's like a slight to moderate there you go. improvement.
1: <laughs> I think <sighs> I'm going to give.
0: I think I'm going to go full six.
1: Okay, I'm going to stick with five point five.
0: Okay, you, you, that is your right. So that is an eleven point five on guard. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't actually expect him to score so high in on guard. But looking back at my notes, it's like mm. there's not really any
1: no, big negatives here. Not too too bad.
0: Yeah, like he does lose a few things, like especially with Normandy, but he he contains Normandy. Yeah. Like he kind of wins in the end. Yeah, there's like some stalemates and stuff, but there's nothing that yeah, really he's
1: not losing.
0: Like even the war in Flanders, he technically lost it, but he still got a castle out of it. <laughs> you know, I know, and a wife he didn't like, but who gave him Louis the sixth? So yeah,
1: that's a win.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's on God. Moving on to Mm voulez-vous. Voulez-vous? We'll start with the bad, and I have three large paragraphs. Um, (laughs) So, like his father, Philip continued to resist church reform and insist on the rights of the king over the pope when it came to granting and managing local monasteries and bishoprics.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, the Gregorian reforms and the peace of God movement, we've talked about last couple of episodes kept going as well as the crusades and the, and the beginnings of the, also the beginnings of the Reconquista in Spain is also happening. Um,
1: uh-huh. But
0: Philip doesn't want anything to do with any of it. <laughs> so there's all yeah. this good stuff happening, so, but I'm Philip's like, not. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So he did support the, cru- the Cluniac revival uh, with the usual yeah. sort of standard endowments and donations, but overall He's not a man who likes change, unless it means him getting more land. Despite his disagreements with Rome, however, Philip respected church doctrine and continued Robert II's good work in punishing heresy. Uh, So there weren't quite as many burnings as what we saw under Robert II, under Grandpa, but it's still a lot (laughs) by modern standards. The Anglo-Norman chroniclers, as ever, are particularly critical of the King of France for obvious reasons. Auderick Vitalis writes that Philip was indolent, fat, and unfit for war. Uh, William of Malmesbury writes Philip was constantly belching from his daily excess of food. He committed lots of simony. It was generally just very corrupt. He was reluctant when it came to giving charity. Uh, and the southern French chronicler Guibert de Nogent criticizes Philip for also exploiting church riches during vacancies between abbots and bishops. So basically, abbot dies before the next abbot is appointed. Philip goes in, takes all the treasure.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is something a lot of kings did throughout the medieval period, but now restrictions are just tightening, things are getting reformed. King's on the wrong side of that.
1: Lucy's getting that treasure.
0: <laughs> Apparently he, he then squandered these these riches. It's unclear what they mean by squandering, but I assume it means fun parties with Ada is what he's squandering it off.
1: Lots of yummy food.
0: So yeah, greedy, gluttonous, and lustful is the general vibe, uh, which will be great for ooh Not so great yeah, for Willy.
1: Not for this.
0: Both English and French-speaking modern historians echo this. So Charlotte Mary Young in 1882, who wrote one of the first big English language books on uh, history of France, uh, she calls him a weak man of vicious habits. But these accusations are only applicable to the last bit of his reign, as we've said, between his divorce in 1092, which prompted the excommunication, to his death in 1108, by which time he was suffering from, as we've said, obesity, toothache, and scabies. So that leaves us with the whole period from 1060 to 1092, in which Philip was relatively inoffensive. (laughs) Everyone seems to have been pretty okay with him until that point. So, yeah, it's only once he steps over the line, gets excommunicated, that mm. sort of the gloves come off and
1: he gets, yeah.
0: Regina George comes stomping down the hall, throwing <laughs> papers everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Because at that point, everyone's like, ooh, like seeing all the little flaws and pointing them all out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When before is just brushed under the rug.
0: I have less information for the good of Oliver, but. Let's, let's get into it. So within mm. the royal domain, Philip continued Robert II and Henry I's work of making his local territories run more smoothly. Yeah. He appointed prévôt or prefects, as representatives of the king, with mm-hmm. one in each of the cities that he controlled directly. Mm. So there's like one for Paris, one for Orléans, one for Bourges, etc. This meant that the king didn't have to frantically move around as much, which is very good for Philip um, because eventually he couldn't get on a horse anymore.
1: On them. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it meant that disputes could be solved and taxes could be, be collected more efficiently as the domain grows in size.
1: Yeah. So basically he just created like representatives of the King. Yeah.
0: He also appointed more bureaucrats in his household to help with the administration. So you start to see more like chancellors and Chamberlains popping up in history. Um, and these are usually drawn from the very minor nobility or from the clergy. Yeah. So with the institutions of these more bureaucratic roles around the king came opportunities for social mobility. Which is good for believing. Flu- flu- mm. One example is the Garland family, headed by Stephen de Garland, who becomes the King's Chancellor and basically sets up mm-hmm. various family members in significant roles. And we'll see the consequences of this influence next episode, um, because there's a bit of Mm -hmm. a kerfuffle between the garlands and the local barons of the royal domain, because they're sort of upstarts who don't belong next to the king, sort of thing. But they're very effective administrators, and that's why Philip has them around. So, of course, last thing for Volivu, Philip's marital troubles cause problems, but to his credit, after he divorced Bertha, he still regarded their son Louis as his rightful heir. And Louis succeeded unopposed by his stepmother or his two half-brothers. Good. Who in 1108 uh, would have been in their early teens while Louis was in his late 20s. Yeah. So it was a good choice. So as we said, yet another remarkably stable succession. So we've got improving administration as well as stability despite the struggle with the church. And that sums up Louis It's
1: going to be low though. No, i think like, two. I don't think it should three. be that
0: low because the things that he does to improve things it... are big things and True. they're good things. Whereas the church stuff is yeah. all just a bit of nonsense mm. that ends up getting swept under the rug anyway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm thinking, like, 3.54.
0: I kind of think, I guess, I guess there's no major, like, reforms that make things better yeah. for the people. Um, just... The whole prefect thing is kind of something that had already been happening gradually. Mm. But Philip just kind of makes it more of a thing. So yeah. it's kind of like things are just sort of happening. Philip's Continuing kind of letting them the happen. Path. But there are a bunch of good things that he's opposing, like the church reform. Yeah.
1: So I'm thinking 3.5.
0: Yeah, we both give Henry a 4. So now I'm thinking I'm gonna he go higher than, than Henry. Because Henry d- didn't do too much. Uh,
1: yeah, but he didn't have that. Like he wasn't he wasn't excommunicated, was he?
0: No, he was not. Um no. I'm gonna do a 4.5 because I'm nice. I'm
1: sticking 3.5.
0: Yeah. So that is an eight for Voule Fu. Okay. Moving now on. on
1: to my favorite part.
0: Oh, it's gonna be great just you wait Yee. so ooh la la so of course in philip we have our second king to be excommunicated off the bat philip's treatment by the church in response to his legally dubious divorce was met much more harshly than his grandfather robert ii because robert ii mm-hmm. he was excommunicated early in his reign and he yeah. spent the rest of his reign basically making up for it
1: <laughs> yeah
0: Whereas Philip well,
1: Philip's like, I'm already old, whatever.
0: He made very little effort to actually fix the reasons that um, yeah, was, caused all the, the people do it for
1: and the Pope in a way kinda just gave in, was like, fine, whatever. Yeah,
0: well. They could they sort of gave up because it was just making a mess.
1: Yeah, they were just like, oh we can't be bothered anymore, let's just pretend this didn't happen, yeah. la di da di da.
0: But I think it does demonstrate the fact that he got a much harsher excommunication... he got a much harsher like rap from this excommunication. Yeah. Kind of goes to show, I think, the church's tightening grip on morality and stuff like that. That they're like, mm. nah, we're not letting we're this thing off. They let they do let him off sort of in the history, in terms of what historically happened. But in what's written about Philip, they don't let him off.
1: Since when would the monks let anyone off?
0: Yes. Or the priests. Which leads us to the scathing Norman chronicler, Orderic Fatalis, who writes of Philip's marriage, in inverted commas, to ada um mm. that it might have even been a menage a trois situation with ada and folk yeah. so quote from Audric this clever woman had by her skillful management so perfectly reconciled these two rivals that she made them a splendid feast got them both to sit on, at the same table had their beds prepared in the same chamber and ministered to them according to their pleasures <laughs> yeah. and sujet of Saint-Denis confirms that Ada's relationship with Falk and Philip did indeed overlap so
1: <laughs>
0: quote this sprightly and rarely accomplished woman well versed in the art familiar to her sex of holding captive husbands they have outraged Acquired such an empire over her first husband, the Count of Anjou, in spite of the affront she had put upon him by deserting him, that he treated her with homage as his sovereign, often sat upon a stool at her feet, and obeyed her wishes by a sort of enchantment. (laughs) So she's, you know, she's a witch.
1: (laughs) I'm just imagining her on the throne and like the king and folks are just like there at her feet being like, oh my god. She's She's just like
0: petting them. So yeah, that's the lustiness. That's the most scandalous part of the, the lustiness. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Philip's largeness, for want of a better term, was actually probably genetic. Because uh, it seems to have been inherited by mm-hmm. his son, Louis VI, who oh. will be known as Louis the Fat. Both of them mm-hmm. seem to have, ha- have been pretty able in their younger years. Similar, I guess, to Henry VIII, another Henry VIII comparison. Mm. So yeah, during their younger years, they're sort of these vigorous, handsome guys, and then they sort of decline in health and thinness over time. Henry VIII is, of course, their distant descendant by several avenues, so, you know, maybe that gene passed through somehow. Mm. Nonetheless, Philip's rotundness was considered a source of controversy at the time. Uh, The the sources uh, numerous times imply that he was not only fat and diseased due to his lascivious lifestyle, uh, but also hypocritical about the fatness of others. So he ridicules Flynn <laughs> the Conqueror for being fat, and apparently divorces but being fat. Yeah. And while later historians take the affair with Ada and sort of run with it, it's suggested in some of the primary documents that Philip only began seeing Ada after he'd already split up with Bertha so that there, there there's maybe a bit more of a time gap than some of the accounts will might want us to believe mm. in which case it's not as depraved as we might think um, mm. contrary to that image Bertha was not imprisoned necessarily um, I mean at first maybe she was confined mm. in some way but she definitely got to retire yeah. comfortably in her and she got to keep her personal lands. So that is, la la. it's quite juicy. It's very juicy. Mm-hmm. He's generally pretty corrupt and lascivious and a dirty, dirty man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So I think
0: you should get fairly higher points. Yeah. Not like highest.
1: missing out on some murder.
0: Probably not like an eight or nine.
1: I think seven or eight. I'm thinking eight because like you know some of that excommunication and that scandalous scandalous marriages
0: yeah oh I forgot uh-huh. about the because ex- uh, I was trying to I was thinking about this last night like I was like what would I give for scandal and I was like probably seven um, but looking at Robert the second he got seven but I think he was way less
1: scandalous well, that's because he was the first one to be excommunicated true he was number one he was the original
0: I think Robert's gotta be
1: worse yeah okay i'm thinking eight i'm just going to go for eight
0: all right yeah. so that's an eight
1: yeah that's the thing i love scandal but i guess i'm also a bit like harsh i'm like you have yeah. to meet my criteria scandal it
0: has to be real don't i'm like you to subscribe
1: yeah like i need it all
0: yeah um but i think he ticks most of the boxes when it comes to the he's got the lossfulness mm. he's got the corruption he's got the the pearl clutching of the church that is a 16 for ulala which is which puts them in equal first place in ulala with clothar the first the nephew murderer oh
1: oh i think oh the nephew
0: murderings Ooh. in the early Merovingian days were less scandalous than we would yeah. maybe consider them at this point in history
1: <gasps>
0: there was less christianity back then yeah so now we come to Lovey on throne. Ignore the dog barking, if you can hear it. Lovey on throne. So Philip I of France reigned from his father, King Henry's death, on the 4th of August, 1060, until his own death on the 29th of July, 1108. So how long mm. is that? Okay. 1060 to
1: 1108? something. Oh, right, sorry. 40 something. 1160, 1108.
0: Yeah. No, ten sixty to eleven oh eight.
1: Forty eight He's not he's not
0: raining he's not going back in time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, I don't the, know why I thought that like. I think the dog bark made the, me be like
0: The Benjamin Button the reigns. It, it it he reigns backwards. Yeah. Ten sixty
1: to eleven oh eight. Forty eight years?
0: Yes. I'm concerned about the children that you teach maths to now.
1: <laughs> no, I just always doubt myself of mat- mat- mathematics, even if it's simple math. Like, okay. I'd be like, five plus five, and I'm like, I know it's 10, but what happens suddenly? It's not 10.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, about, it's about a week short of 48 years. Um, oh, damn him. Yeah.
1: He couldn't have lived for one more week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, to be precise, it's 47 years, 11 months, and 25 days. And since our current Longest reigning monarch Charlemagne only reigned for forty-five mm. years.
1: Oh, he's got a new record.
0: he's got our new longest so reign. Woo! So this gives Philip the First of France eight point nine six points Ooh, for reign, which is half a point more than Charlemagne. Um, and by his first wife Bertha of Holland, Philip has firstly Constance who was, quote, a lady of excellent breeding, elegant appearance, and beautiful face. So she was first married to Count Hugh of Champagne, but the marriage was childless, and they just didn't vibe, I guess. So they obtained Uh, a legal divorce this time, um, and both got remarried. Uh, So Constance married the Prince of Antioch, the Crusader, uh, who we mentioned, whose name was Beaumont. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or Bohemond. Don't know how to pronounce that exactly. So, secondly, we've got King Louis VI of France, the subject of next episode. And we've also Mm -hmm. got a short-lived son called Henry. And these children were all born between 1078 and 1083. Then we get, like, a big gap in which Philip and Bertha distance before Philip finally throws her over in in favour of Betrayer of Montfort, who gives him two sons, uh, Philip Junior and Fleury?
1: <laughs>
0: They're only given minor lordships due to their disputed mm. legitimacy.
1: Are we going to count them in this as legitimate? Or... I think we should. Yeah,
0: because Philip and Ada certainly consider themselves married, and like, yeah, if we were talking modern standards, they would be married. So I think we can count it. Okay. So we've got Philip and Fleury, and then we have a daughter named Cecile.
1: Oh, I like that name. Yeah.
0: She married another Norman crusader, Tancred, Prince of Galilee.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: So we're going to be generous. We're going to count all of them as legitimate. Uh, and since uh, five out of six of five them survived. survive King Damn, George, that's pretty good. he gets 8.44 points for children.
1: Damn. Yeah.
0: So that's a total v- yeah. of the On Throne score of 17.4 out of 20. Is
1: that our highest?
0: Um yes. I had sure. to double check because we had a false alarm with Robert the second where we thought he beat Charlemagne, but he actually didn't.
1: <laughs> but um, now
0: definitely Philip the First, he's got the highest feeling.
1: Someone's beaten.
0: He's beaten. Finally, yeah. someone's beaten Charlemagne in something. Bumble. Yeah. Um so Philip is going to be fourth overall in *Beyond Throne* mm. out of all the kings. So we only have three kings left who do better in this round than Philip, and all of them will yeah. be called Louis. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, actually, I've already had a couple of messages from people who have correctly okay. guessed which Louis get the top three in *Beyond Throne* yeah. with their little maths and Wikipedia searches. I think I
1: know one Louis, but yeah. Say.
0: So we'll see. Next episode, will one of these be Louis the Sixth? Will he be one of the top three Louis?
1: Guess will I'm be a of. later one,
0: or will it be a later one? Yeah, it's definitely not a previous one because will be in the wall. So tallying up the points.
1: Yes, it's the grand total of diddling,
0: Grand total. Given Philip's circumstances, that is an admirable 59.9.
1: Whoa, damn. That is pretty just good. Just
0: short of 60 points.
1: You said it's 59 point...
0: 59.9. Nine.
1: Oh, damn. I just want to... So tend to get that zero point just to get that 60.
0: He's now bumped down Charles the Bald and he's our new third Ooh. place in terms of points. Oh,
1: Who's above him? Obviously Charlemagne, who's the other one?
0: Robert II. Oh. Grandpa. So yeah. I did not expect this.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's surprising. So she was so creepy in his depictions.
0: It shows that like you can be terrible as a ruler. Um but if you've got kind of middling-ish scores, if you, you have that long life. And you have a really long reign and you do a lot of scandalous things.
1: And it have you some far. children. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it was definitely an interesting reign, and he's definitely an interesting person, if not mm. a nice person. <laughs> mm. So, with that all said, is he fascinating enough, entertaining enough, majestic, and fabulous, and irresistible enough to be released from our dungeon, go through to the Battle Royale Championship, and be spared from the guillotine? Yeah, I, I, just,
1: I just don't feel so like can spare him
0: he's definitely not traditionally seen as as one of the greats
1: <laughs> yeah like i'm just but not... he's
0: third place
1: i know but like, i'm just not getting that wow factor like i'm not feeling that connection
0: yeah do you think thinking about all of the kings that we've spared so far do you think he could beat any of them in the tournament i mean assuming he can get on a horse
1: which <laughs> is <laughs> doubtful. Have to be really yeah. strong horse too.
0: Although tournaments, not just about martial ability, it's also about you know, will they win over the crowd, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't.
0: I really can't see any of our listeners voting for him, really. Yeah. If it comes to like him versus Odo, or like him yeah. versus Daggerbird, or him yeah. versus anybody, Robert <laughs> the Second, Hugh Capet, yeah. And I thought Hugh Cafe was stretching it a bit when we spent I think this is definitely a demonstration that the points only get you so far.
1: Yeah. So,
0: so that's unfortunately the guillotine Adios. for Philip the First. Who has the, the dubious honour now of being the highest ranking guillotined person.
1: <laughs> Yay! At least we got something! <laughs>
0: He got something. I mean, he also got highest beyond on third score and equal highest school last score. So, so far. That's two things. The okay. three things. Yeah. So good effort, uh, <laughs> Philip. Or good lack of effort, I guess, because he really didn't do too much. But he has a participation trophy because he participated for yeah. a very long time. Probably more, probably longer than people wanted him for.
1: Actually, I don't think he gets the trophy, he gets the ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> that blue participation ribbon.
0: So, with all that said, got no messages. Yeah. If there are new patrons by the time this comes out, you know, you know, we'll talk about you eventually.
1: Yeah, and check out, you know, the usual. Check out social media is all that.
0: It's all. It'll all be linked below. So, so follow that. Yeah. and yeah. yeah, that's gonna be all right from me.
1: And goodbye from me. And then she said, oh my god. And then I was like, oh my god, no way. And then she was like, oh my god, totally. And then we were like, yeah.